Welcome to Wednesday. It's Michael Pelka here on the Puro Pelka podcast. A lot, a lot of news to try and cover. Some of it you're hearing other places. Some of it you're not hearing anywhere at all. And that makes me wonder. It really makes me wonder. It makes me wonder, for example, why Beijing got the Winter Olympics when they really don't get snow. There's no real natural snow happening in Beijing this time of year. As a matter of fact, the skiers and snowboarders are competing on 100% fake snow. Just throwing that out there. And I'm still not watching any of the Olympics live. I have not. I haven't even really sat down and tried to uh, come up with a, uh, a good highlight show to watch. I will check the medal count online in the morning, but I'm not watching it. I'm not getting sucked into it because I think it's an abomination what's going on. And again, big, big love to Ennis Cantor Freedom, the guy who changed his name to Freedom, became an American citizen, NBA star, who is now appearing in um, ads slamming the Olympics with a T-shirt that says Free the Uyghurs. Yeah, why not? Stop the genocide, people. Just stop it. Let's... Let's cut out the uh, charade that there's any real dignity in this entire Olympic Games. There is not. I feel bad for the athletes who I think are being used. And especially those who are, who are getting injured. We've had some real serious injuries. And you have to wonder, as we were talking about the lack of snow, real snow, is it making it tougher for our skiers were our skiers injured because they had to ski on this manufactured man-made snow? And I know you're saying, well, the Chinese skiers have to ski on it too. Well, let's, uh, let's go back and look at this after the Olympics are over and see how many people were injured. All right, before we get into the other news, on this day back in the day, a look back on February 9th in history. In 1825, the House of Representatives had to settle the election and they voted and chose John Quincy Adams as the sixth president, all part of why we have the system set up as a republic. One of the rare instances in 1894, the Hershey's Chocolate Company was founded and now they make the chocolate bars in Mexico. No, thank you, Hershey's. The very next year, volleyball was invented at the YMCA in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I wonder if they have a volleyball museum up there. Just throwing that out there. On this date in 1964, the Beatles made that iconic appearance on Ed Sullivan. That was the day after they arrived in New York. They hadn't played a concert in New York. They actually went to D.C. and then took the train back the next day and played two concerts one day in uh, Carnegie Hall. There was an early and a late show, and it was madness. And I didn't know about it till just the other day. Also on this date in 1992, Magic Johnson, who just three months earlier had made the announcement that he had contracted HIV and he was going to be leaving basketball, came back to play in the All-Star game. And I remember that. That was an amazing moment. And also on this date in 1994, Nelson Mandela became the first black president of South Africa, which was a remarkable thing considering he had been he had been persecuted for many years and locked up, imprisoned for fighting for equality. 
Mandela, an interesting character, especially how he handled taking over the country, could have been vindictive, chose not to be, chose to be a uniting force. It's hard to push down anger after you've been locked up for decades, you know? An amazing story, the Nelson Mandela story. And I'm, you know, I'm sure he has his, uh, his imperfections as well. But I just think it's, it's good to look at how you handle success after you've been fighting for so long, choosing to be a uniter versus a vindictive person. I wish Joe Biden would think about that. He seems to be pretty vindictive, doesn't he? Speaking of Biden, the administration is now getting ready to revise the COVID hospitalization numbers, the COVID death numbers, the COVID case numbers. Yeah, we're going to find out if people died with COVID or from COVID. And we're going to find out if they were hospitalized with COVID or from COVID. And we've been talking about this for years. Absolutely have been talking about this for years. And I know a lot of people are saying, well... Well, that's, uh, that's, yeah, I know. We need the right answers, but we also need people to understand why this is happening right now. We talked about it yesterday and this morning on Fox and Friends, Brian Kilmeade was trying to explain it as well. Just watch. They're examining hospitalizations now. Soon they're going to be examining deaths and say, wait, how many people died, had COVID, but not because of COVID? And you're going to watch. We're going to be sitting here in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and they're going to say, you know, that 900,000 or that 1 million number, it's really way too high. And we overestimate it because people died with it, not because of it. We'll see if we ever get those numbers out. And why do they need now? They suddenly realize this is what they do for a living. Suddenly they realize we should, we're testing people for COVID because they maybe have a sprained ankle. But they got to be tested so we know how to, what room to put them in. And they go, oh, yeah, COVID, now that counts. They're just figuring that out two and a half years into this pandemic. Well, it's really just barely two years into it, Brian. Come on. But the, the reality is that uh, Joe Biden said on the campaign trail that no president who presided over 220,000 deaths should remain in office. And so now that he has presided over more than 400,000 deaths, you have to wonder, are people saying, hey, Joe, uh, what about that thing you said about staying in office? It really is interesting, isn't it, how it turned around on them. But just watch. This is all going to come together. This, the removal of the mask mandates in states like New York and New Jersey, Connecticut, Delaware, Pennsylvania, I guess, is next. Oregon, uh, Illinois is, is even joining the mask dropping. They're all going to kind of come together near the State of the Union. And then Joe will come out and say, well, you know, we, we revised the numbers. And they're much better than we thought. And that, uh, that congressman yesterday who we played, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, talking about how Biden should get credit for solving this. No, he shouldn't. He should not at all. I also think this is a distraction a distraction from the skyrocketing inflation in the country. You've seen gas going up again pretty much every week. It's hitting record levels and uh, not record record levels, but uh, the most in several years, I believe it is, the price of oil and the price of gas, at least eight years, and it's not going down anytime soon. But they're trying to distract from that and from the skyrocketing cost that you're paying at the grocery store.
Jen Snarky yesterday blamed big meat. Yeah, it's those big meat companies that are causing it. No, it's everything this administration is doing that's causing it. And yesterday there was kind of a big stinking deal, at least to the mainstream media's left side, when Mitch McConnell came out and gave a little bit of a press conference shocker. And we have to have some fun with this. This was Mitch McConnell yesterday. Here you go, Mitch. Well, let me give you my view of what happened January the 6th. And we're all, we're here. We're here. We, we, we saw what happened. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election. So McConnell comes out and says what he said last year. He did say this. You can go back if you if you jump into the Wayback Machine on the Internet. You can go back to the days after the riot. I call it a riot. He calls it an insurrection. McConnell was saying this back then. And the mainstream media spent all of this morning and most of last night saying, oh, Mitch McConnell's calling it an insurrection. Why can't you? And, of course, Donald Trump responded and called Mitch the old crow. And Mitch said, well, that's my favorite bourbon. Now I have to question his taste in bourbon, but that's a different story. He also, he, Mitch McConnell, also addressed the RNC's censure of Kinzinger and Cheney. And I think what he's doing here is actually smart. From one administration to the next. Yes, yes. That's what it was. Okay. The issue is whether or not the RNC should be sort of singling out members of our party who may have different views from the majority. That's not the job of the RNC. I believe Mitch McConnell's right. I don't think it is the job of the RNC. And I think what McConnell, the minority leader, was trying to do was unite the party to say, hey, you know, the Democrats vote together on everything. And we have been together. We need to stay together, especially if we are going to win back the House and hopefully back the Senate. So I think McConnell did the right thing. And some of you may disagree with me. Maybe. Think about it, though. Give it a moment and think about it. All right. The um, the other story that's continuing ongoing story, of course, the truckers in Canada. And I never thought. It would be Canada that would be the example to stop what is the Great Reset that's being uh, foisted upon us by using this crisis of a virus to try and alter how our nation runs and how Canada runs. And the truckers have just been amazing. Truckers are like independent small businessmen, and they understand what's really involved to make a business work. And so you have to love it when they stand up to the gigantic government and say, no, you're going too far. And the story and the the videos of the elderly gentleman who was honking his horn and the cops kind of went overboard, 78 years old, great grandfather arrested. He's four foot ten. And you have this capital cop in Ottawa arresting this guy because he's honking his horn. He wasn't really being violent with them or even really resisting them. It's just astounding to me. But the the way this whole thing has been covered is also really stunning. 
if you've been paying attention, the way the uh, the Canadian story has been covered is it well, it's astounding. And I've been watching it too. And you just have to be well. You have to laugh at these people. You have to laugh because I don't think they fully understand uh, what they're doing. I don't think they fully understand how they look when these protests are being being, uh, covered on their networks. Here's a little montage put together by the people at Grabian, Tom Elliott and the people on Grabian. You should follow Tom Elliott on Twitter as well, uh, talking about the Freedom Convoy and how they covered it. Because to them, oh, this is an insurrection. Sedition, insurrection, a threat to democracy. This city is under siege. They are now calling it an occupation. Alarming situation there in Ottawa. The police chief is calling it a nationwide insurrection driven by madness. This is kind of our insurrection by air horn moment. I think it's part of the globalization of Trumpism. Canadians know where I stand. There hasn't been as much violence as some had perhaps projected. No, there hasn't been any violence. Unless it's from a few idiots, outsiders. But to call this a a Trump-sponsored or inspired protest is crazy. These are truckers who understand Donald Trump was all about individual responsibility as well as uh, supporting capitalism and small business. But to say it's violent, do you remember, do you people have any memory to two summers ago? to the violent summer of love in Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis and Kenosha and New York and Philadelphia and Chicago. I could go on. They have no idea. They're completely clueless, but there's more of their coverage. But that does not necessarily mean that it has been peaceful. Reports of severe vandalism and criminal behavior. Streets are clogged. The honking is incessant and deafening. Oh, not honking. God forbid noise. Have you ever been in a traffic jam in a major city? (laughs) Insane. Here's more from the uh, premier Trudeau. Pandemic has sucked for all Canadians. Residents that I have spoken to who say they feel terrorized, intimidated. Residents say they feel like hostages. Residents in that area say that they are being held hostage, that this freedom has essentially, this freedom convoy, as they call it, has essentially imposed a lockdown on them. Hmm. I wonder if the people in Seattle who live near the chop zone, the people in Portland who are by the police station that was overrun by protesters set on fire, I wonder if they uh, would have traded their protest for this protest, which has some late night horn honking and some people actually tailgating with like a barbecue, something you'd see at a football game. I'll bet they would. Some protesters harassed a soup kitchen. These anti-vaxxers actually took food from the mouths of uh, the homeless. Hum- hungry, yeah. Because they were, they're, they're, they're so put upon. There have not been any violent outbursts. However, horns have been honking for 12 to 21 hours a night. The- There have not been any violent outbursts, but horns have been honking. Again, go back to the protests in America during the summer of love. The violent Black Lives Matter Antifa protests that destroyed billions in property and killed people and wounded, injured dozens of members of law enforcement. This is insane how this is being covered small fringe minority of people who 
are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing. Many of them are holding Confederate flags. I think we saw two Confederate flags. I, this is just crazy. Plus, uh, the Confederacy was part of an American story in the American Civil War. Why would a Confederate flag bother Canadians? I don't think it would. I think they'd go, what's that, eh? This is just ridiculous. The, the mainstream media should be ashamed of itself. I've heard there's QAnon supporters in the crowd. We've seen swastikas. We've seen the Confederate flag. We've seen uh, flags with Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, in a noose. Now, that's obviously a disturbing image. They shouldn't be doing that. I thought Canadians were nicer than that. She's offended by the swastika. Well, it was last week, the uh, Union Station in Washington, D.C., the the pillars, the columns outside of Union Station were vandalized by someone who scratched swastikas into them. And that person happens to be a twice deported illegal alien who will not be deported out of Joe Biden's America. Why? Why? Because D.C. is a sanctuary city. These people. Uh, it just makes me laugh. Let's get back to more of the coverage of the insanity at the trucker protest. And this is from mostly American mainstream media. Uh, lots of Donald Trump flags as well. People chanting, let's go, Brandon. It is actually one of the rare times in history you're going to see swastikas and yellow stars uh, at the same protest. A few people shouting and waving swastikas does not define who Canadians are. Ottawa is being besieged by a group of anti-do-anything-about-COVID truckers called the Freedom Convoy. Yeah, truckers who work in a controlled space, they have their own bubble, 80% of them are vaccinated, but you go ahead and keep spreading your misinformation about this. So-called freedom convoy. So-called freedom convoy of truckers. It's a cult. There you go, Joe Scarborough. Uh, it, it's crazy what they're doing. Now, overnight, a couple of the provinces along the border have decided to suddenly start dropping all of the requirements, the mandates, because... Well, they don't work. And they also rely on those truckers to bring and do business with America, to bring things to America and to do business with America. So I'm glad to say it looks like Canada has come to its senses. I wish this country would come to its senses immediately as well. Uh, let me see if there's anything else going on out here. Joe Rogan said what we said yesterday. This is a political attack. Obviously it is. And if you dig deep enough on everybody, you can find something offensive to cancel them on. So we should just stop the cancellations. If you don't like Joe Rogan, don't listen to him. But Neil Young isn't done. Neil Young has, has stopped messing with Spotify. Yesterday he said employees of Spotify should just quit because of his standards. And now he's going after the banks. And this is what the left does. They try and put a financial squeeze on anything they don't like. They're trying to do it with guns and have been trying forever and ever and ever. A couple other things before we get to Dr. Michael Royzen. Dr. Royzen, the Cleveland Clinic is joining us because it's Wellness Wednesday and we have to talk about what you can do to make yourself healthy, live longer, live younger, yada, yada, yada. And you need that yada, yada, yada. Uh, Alec Baldwin's back on a movie set. I never thought that would happen, much less happen within a year. 
Alec Baldwin, the guy who pulled the trigger on a gun that killed somebody, is back on a movie set. Really, I, I'm stunned that's happened. And he said, well, it's kind of strange being back on a set. Yeah, you think? And he also referred to the, um, the deadly incident as this horrible thing. Hmm. Yeah, that's a horrible thing. Think about the family of the director. The AD, assistant director, you killed. And I've been warning you about TikTok. Can you finally get off TikTok? Can you get rid of TikTok? It is now out there. TikTok is sharing more of your information than every other social media outlet. TikTok is evil. TikTok is part of China. TikTok on your phone or your kid's phone allows China to get into your entire background on every computer you have. It's a gateway. And China is mining all of that information. You need to get off TikTok today. Delete it. Your kids will be mad, yes. But you'll be safer. We got to stand up to China now. All right, it is a Wednesday, Wellness Wednesday. That means uh, our buddy Dr. Michael Roizen is joining us from the Cleveland Clinic. He's the guy behind the Age Proof Life series. And his new book, if it ever gets here, it's getting ready to go to press, which we'll talk about the Great Age Reboot. I cannot wait for that. But uh, Dr. Roizen meets with us each and every week to talk about the research that shows us how to live better. And that means we will live longer and healthier Doc, I could sure use some great information because I would like to live longer, live healthier, and I hope you've got something to help me out. Well, I hope you're right. Me too. (laughs) Because, uh, you know, halfway through the winter, it does feel like it's easy to get sluggish and it's easy to get lazy and all that stuff. And I, I have to ask you, one of the things on your list deals with lighting, indoor lighting, and people talk about that seasonal affected disorder. Is that related to indoor lighting? And is this bright indoor lighting thing something we should be considering? Well, it's related in a um, indirect way. So your circadian rhythm, we all know we have a circadian rhythm where light stimulates a the retina, which stimulates the superoptic nucleus, which goes to um, in, a, inhibit melatonin secretion, but it also does other things in the rest of the body. And one of those things is make insulin more sensitive, which increases your metabolic rate. Hmm. So having bright lights, which you want during the daytime, gives you more energy because of this property of increasing insulin sensitivity. So in that way, um, you are right, and the uh, seasonal affective disorder is the same thing. Bright light, that is blue wavelength light, um, does both. That's what is the stimulating factor. So that's what we want you to have. Okay, bright lights and uh, the the blue wave light, is that not just part of regular incandescent lighting? um, you know, you, you've escaped my knowledge base, but I think it is part of what we call the regular light bulb. But you've got to, you, um, some of the bulbs don't 
uh, emit the normal wavelengths, but this is normal wavelength white light. Okay, okay. I, you've just given me a great term to throw at people when they stump me. You've escaped my knowledge base right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be stealing that, Dr. Roizen. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, that's very good. That's very, very good. Uh, we talked last week a little bit about a stroke, the ischemic stroke, because the senator uh, who suffered a stroke and they're hoping he gets back on the recovery pretty quickly. But you also have something in here about data about the stroke rates in the United States. What do we need to know? Uh, the stroke rates in the United States are um, going down substantially in each age group. But because we are getting older as a nation, they're going up in total. Hmm. So since about 1970, they've gone down someplace over 60%. That is, if you look at 65-year-olds now compared to in 1970, we have 60% less strokes. On the other hand, or 70% less strokes. On the other hand, we got more people who are age 65, so we have more strokes of 65-year-old people. The disheartening part is what I call the, the lack of personal responsibility part is we're getting more strokes in younger people. Remember, our genes haven't changed since 1970. Only our choices have. And so when you say we've got, um, we've gone from 1 million diabetics to 37 million type 2 diabetics, it ain't because of D gene changes. It's not because of deserts of food deserts. We had more food deserts then, then than we do now. It's because our habits have changed. And that's because we haven't taken personal responsibility. And that has led to strokes at an earlier age. So there's been a virtually a doubling of strokes under the age of 45. Wow. And, and that you, you can tie the stroke increase directly to the diabetes increase, which I'm kind of stunned. You said like a million. Well, it's not, it's not just diabetes. It's mm. everything that led to it, meaning physical inactivity, your food choices and portion size, the increased stress without stress management, um, a whole bunch of things like that. And, 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 but it is directly, and yes, we've gone from 1 million to 37 million. That's unbelievable. That's like adding another country to the, the country of diabetes. It's, it's like a Greek island with 37 million people on it. That's really frightening, doctor. And has that number slowed down its growth at all since we started talking about it over the last few years? Um, I don't believe it has. Wow. That's really shocking. Uh, and yeah, I've got to use that other phrase I used. You've escaped my knowledge base again. Or the other way of saying it is, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'm I'll, not sure. You have to use the Jen Snarky uh, line. I'll circle back. I'll circle back <laughs> to you on that one. Wow, that, that is just stunning to me. That, that, that increase in my lifetime, in less than my lifetime, is uh, unbelievable. And you would think that we as a nation would stand up and go, hey, we got to do something about this, especially because you, you mentioned in there. Well, um, we are doing something as a nation. That's the total wrong thing. Okay. We've got to do something about it as individuals. It's not a problem of the nation. It's a problem of personal responsibility, meaning our genes haven't changed. Our choices haven't changed to agree they have but we can still manage it. 
Why are we physically inactive? Why are we gaining a pound and a quarter per person each? And that's before the last two years. We gained 19 pounds each over the last two years on average. So the, the problem is we aren't taking responsibility and for the for the issue. I mean, it is it is our problem. Well, I like the fact that you said personal responsibility. I'm a big fan of that. And as we talk about this and we talk about weight loss and people gaining weight and how that does affect your health with diabetes, et cetera, um, you, number 13, what the heck is mindful eating? It's thinking about what you're doing and doing it slowly, not eating in front of a TV and not thinking about it as you shovel the fork into your mouth. So maybe think about enjoying your meal because that's one of the things that I think during the pandemic um, we have worked on trying to have dinner at home. We don't go out to eat a lot anyway, and we actually eat in the dining room, not in front of the TV. TV is never a place where we have uh, a meal. And well, I that's mindless eating, eating in front of a TV listening to the TV and not listening and enjoying your food or watching your food or smelling your food, fully enjoying it, that's mindless eating. Well, yeah, so let's be mindful eaters, not mindless. And I, I'm guessing that if you're not distracted by the TV, you might actually think about what you're shoveling into your, your pie hole, as they say. And doing it slowly. And and slowly. I got to admit, it's it's hard to slow down sometimes when you're just coming home, grabbing lunch, and going back out again. But the benefits will be there if you can slow down. So uh, mindful eating is going to be on there. Uh, there's, a, there's a term in here in your research that I've said, I hear people use this all the time, this term. And I'm kind of thinking I know what it means, but I'm not sure I've got it exactly right. What is the placebo effect? Well, the placebo effect is the convincing mind effect or it just happened when you take something and you get an effect but it didn't have an active ingredient in that pill or when you for example acupuncture you do it on a non-acupuncture point but you get a you get cured or get rid of your chronic pain so um that's why all the the fda does randomized double blind studies with an active component and a placebo most times. Sometimes it uses two active components when comparing drugs, but usually it is an active versus placebo. And if you, in, we expect to see 20 to 40% of people get better with the placebo. So you've got to get higher than that with the active ingredient. So for example, with the recent vaccines, you gave both active vaccines and placebo vaccines and looked at who got sick. Well, some people, whether because of pre-existing antibodies or whether a better immune system or whether their mind souped up and said, I must have gotten the active vaccine, whatever it was, they developed an immunity to the virus. Our minds are really that strong. Uh, your mind is incredibly strong. Thank you for saying that. I just wanted to get that on tape so I could play that <laughs> that one little part back over and over again. Okay, now I understand the placebo effect. All right, Doc. We also have talked over the last couple of years, you and I, about the opioid crisis in this country 
and you have two connected items on your list of research this week, Dr. Roizen. Uh, one, right. so one of them one caught my attention. the number of people we've lost yeah. to the opioid in the 10 to 24 age range in the last five years is 22,000. If you figure they're going to live about 50 years longer, we've lost 1.2 million life years. So 1 million useful life years of productivity, of health, of familiness, et cetera, we've lost. It's because these drugs are too good. Um, so you try it once, you get addicted. It's not like the morphine and heroin of the old days where they had side effects. Of, you know, you would, um, they would be a little dysphoric. You wouldn't feel quite right. And in addition, they would cause some nausea and vomiting, etc. Well, these drugs are way too good. You get hooked immediately because they don't have the, those side effects. Secondly, you can't experiment. When I was a kid, you'd go behind the barn and smoke a cigarette you got from a stranger. Well, you smoke a cigarette you get from a stranger now, and it may have uh, fentanyl or carfentanyl or sufentanyl, and you're dead. Um, so there's no experimenting. So if you want to experiment, you got to experiment with something you do on your computer or something you do athletically or even with food or cooking. You can't experiment with uh, things you get from strangers now. Yeah, that's uh, the when you talked about that the other week, it's stunning. And the numbers and, and you just said that the numbers of lives we lost are in the demographic of 10 to 24 year olds. So these are really children into young adulthood. And we've lost a million years, more than a million years of lives in terms of just those folks, not counting people 25 and over. And we've lost a lot of those, too. More of those than anything. We, we're losing, I think we're losing around 80,000 people this year to, to drug overdoses. And the, that would mean in the, in the five years, 400,000. That's insane. And that's frightening. And, and so there has to be an answer. So the next item on your research this week is about experts proposing solutions. Is there anything in there that makes any sense? Um, as you say, it's BS in there, um, but what they do is they point to the need for innovation in treatment, innovation in prevention. Um, so it's a first start of saying, hey, we've got to get a real attack on this problem because it is wiping out people all over the world. And yet we seem to say this every year and nobody seems to do anything. And and we know there's a, a boatload of fentanyl, which was maybe uh, designed in China, manufactured in Mexico, brought across the border, and now that's killing people. We had the opioid crisis that went through the pharmaceutical business, and it seems like uh, doctors have slowed down at least the prescriptions on that. They've reined that in. But there's no real answer. It doesn't seem like we've come up with anything concrete. Let me ask one more about the opioid issue. And that is there is discussion right now of putting uh, both government sanctioned shooting galleries in many cities that have heroin injection problems or delivering government crack pipes to people uh, in, in the name of equity. This seems like madness to me, Doc. Is there, is there any science or you know, common sense in supporting these kinds of habits in your mind? I don't know the data well enough 
Um, but it's always seemed uh, a little, um, what I would call weird. The, the value of it is if you shoot up there and you overdose, you can get it. But remember, these drugs are so good. You try it once, you're going to get addicted. You got to get some way. We've got to get people to understand they can't try it once. They can't experiment with this. It's too good. And the problem with it in the, if you will, in the shooting galleries is that it doesn't stay in the shooting galleries. You wish it did. It's so tough because I I don't want to discourage people from trying to find a solution. But when solutions don't make sense to me, I want to grab them by the shoulders and go, what are you doing? (laughs) Come on, you're, you're enabling. You're not helping stop the problem. So... Uh, I'm with you. If you guys hear of anything that would make sense and help stop it, I will be with you. And, uh, and I would I would love to hear about it, too. All right. Well, we'll keep pursuing it. His name is Michael Royzen. He is the doctor on this show. He's from the Cleveland Clinic, and we go to him every week about wellness, and usually on Wednesday, and we try and find out how we can live better, live younger, live longer. Check him out at whenway.com. Hey, Doc, you said you had a new website for me to send people to, not just the Whenway thing, but uh, where's the new new place for people to go to find out more details? It is either info at or questions at greatagereboot.com. We can go to greatagereboot.com and send you questions? You certainly can. And, and I don't know if you know it. I write a column that's in 104 newspapers. I think it's still in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, it may be only on the online edition. And we uh, answer some of the questions there as well as directly. Ooh, I might. Uh, I will look that up and I will. Um, I, I'll be quoting you on air. You got it. Thanks, Doc. Thank you. Take care. 